I think there's a few things. I think the general aversion to outsiders, if you will, or these other groups, in part comes from just history. So if, we, if we're looking at this, you know, facts on the ground kind of mm-hmm. thing, you've got the Reformation starting in 1517, and blood is spilled over this. Like, mm-hmm. And that, that historical memory, I think, lives on longer than we may think. And the, we see communities and countries going to war with each other mm-hmm. over these issues, which is crazy for us to think in our kind of modern, postmodern world of like, there were religious wars between Christians over, say, Baptist, even between yeah. Protestants. I mean, right. you've got your magisterial Protestants saying, oh, you want to be rebaptized? We'll rebaptize you by, you know, tying a cinder block to you and throwing you in the river if you want to be rebaptized. Mm-hmm. Like crazy things to think about. But I think that memory stays with us longer than we think. And so there's this generational history of thinking of those we disagree with as dangerous. Because at one time, that actually was dangerous. If you've learned anything listening to the All Things All People podcast, it's that curiosity and learning how to ask good questions of people who are anywhere between a little bit different than you or vastly different than you ultimately makes you not just a good citizen, a great Christian, but also a good YouTuber and a good podcaster. Uh, and you're going to, you're going to learn that today, listening to our Christian thinker of the week, uh, Austin Suggs. Austin runs gospel simplicity, which is, uh, primarily over on YouTube. He has over 31,000 subscribers there. And what he has been doing is going into a Catholic setting, Orthodox settings, um, churches and places that believe in, 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 in interpret Christianity differently than most evangelical Christians. And he's asking good questions and he's creating great content. And so no matter where you are, um, whether you're Christian or not Christian, whether you're evangelical, um, mainline, what have you, you can learn so much from watching Austin's stuff because, uh, just kind of like we've seen with Basecamp, which has been really, really, um, surprising, uh, actually, I don't know, maybe not surprising, but encouraging how successful Basecamp's been. Um, but what, what we've seen at ATAP and what Austin's seen through gospel simplicity is that ultimately people drive past places like an Orthodox church, um, you know, or some of the places that we go with base camp, which are not Christian. Um, and they're curious and like, they want to know what goes on in there. They want to know what it looks like in there, but for some reason they don't go in. And sometimes that's because like, they don't, they don't really have the prerequisite knowledge to understand some of the things that you need to understand coming into some of these places, but also too, just they're nervous. And Austin does a phenomenal job, not just going in and, and doing tremendous videography, but also um, interviewing and asking great questions of the people he talks to. And so after you listen to today's interview, uh, go and check out Gospel Simplicity. The link is in the show notes. And if you haven't already, go and check out Basecamp. Um, last night, I sent a message to Josh and Ben, and I gave them the good news that the three episodes of Basecamp are already in the top 10 most popular episodes of any podcast we've put out. And, you know, we have some pretty heavy hitters in the ATAP podcast lineup of guests, which include Tim Mackey, Karen Swallow Pryor, Russell Moore, Frank Turek. And right there are the three episodes of Basecamp. And that tells me a lot. That tells me that you, the listener, are curious just like we are. 
um, and that you're listening to be equipped uh, to gain knowledge and to be ready to go into the dark places with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so thanks for listening. If you haven't already checked out uh, the base camp that, that came out this October on um, Wicca and the occult, go check that out. If you haven't already checked out Hinduism and Scientology, those are there for you as well. Um, and go check out the entire backlog of the amazing guests that we've been honored and privileged to have on the ATAP podcast. But today, the most important one is this episode, the one you're listening to, uh, a conversation I was privileged to have with the one who runs Gospel Simplicity, Mr. Austin Suggs. Let's do it. My next guest thinks that the gospel really is good news. And that thought has taken him across the Christian tradition where he can be found having fascinating conversations with Catholic and Orthodox priests, members of monastic orders, Catholic apologists, or just a run-of-the-mill evangelical like me over on his YouTube channel, Gospel Simplicity, where over 31,000 subscribers watch him love across the lines inside Christianity. Joining me from Chicago, Illinois, where he studies at Moody Bible Institute, um, a fantastic school. It is my honor to have on the show today, Austin Suggs. Austin, thank you so much for doing this. This is incredible. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. It's a pleasure. So um, I failed to mention this to you actually before the show. Uh, I actually first became aware of you um, and what you were doing because a follower of mine pretty much demanded that you be on the show. And um, and so I started looking at your stuff. I've been looking at it really since we were able to schedule this out. And um, you you really are doing some incredible stuff. What for, for people who haven't checked out the videos yet, these are visually stunning videos, mostly there in Chicago, I can tell, where, of course, you don't have to go far to find members of different traditions and faiths and whatnot. But, um, you know, you're inside these Orthodox churches, these Catholic cathedrals, talking to people um, from every corner of Christianity, you know, but you're studying there at the bastion of Protestant evangelicalism, Moody Bible Institute. Um, what, what was the genesis here of you saying, you know what, let's go, let's actually not just talk about Catholicism. Let's not talk about orthodoxy. Let's actually go get footage and talk to these priests and, and these, uh, these figureheads within the movements. Yeah, what a great question. So it's been a bit of a winding journey. So I got started on YouTube, I guess, a little over two years ago now. And originally was not planning on getting into the space that I've gotten myself into. I was just making videos that were kind of devotional and outlook. Honestly, I wasn't entirely sure what the channel was about, which is probably why it never got off the ground in a lot of ways. Um, but at that time, uh, what, what led me into what I'm doing now was I made a video one day about my experience going to a Catholic Bible study with my uncle. And basically my uncle, he hadn't grown up a Christian and just was someone I was always close to and wanted to see come to the faith. And so when I got a call one day saying, hey, do you want to go to a Bible study with me? I mean, after I picked my jaw up from the floor, I was like, absolutely, only to be followed by, by the way, it's at 5.30 a.m. at a Catholic church. It's like, I really should think more before I talk. But yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Like, I'm in. Uh, I'll, I'll get up. I'll be there with you. Um, and so I, I did that a while back. And, I, you know, I was thinking over the summer about kind of the, the divisions in the church. This would be last summer now. And made that video, didn't think much of it. But that kind of blew up. And people started asking me, like, hey, like, you know, it's great that you did this, but you should really go to a service if you want to figure this out. I was like, 
okay, I'll do it. Um, but at the same time, even though it wasn't what I set out to do with my channel, it kind of did align with some of just my personality. I love theology. I love learning. But I also really love sitting down with people who disagree and mm-hmm. just learning what I don't know. I've always said, you know, if you you come across someone and you're saying, like, I just don't understand how they could think this or believe that. Well, it's really on you because you, you don't understand. So you have something to learn. And a couple of years back, um, and when I look back at it now, I think has a big influence on where my channel is, um, is I was tasked to teach a series at my church. And I was teaching in the high school ministry at that time. I was loving it. They asked me if I'd do this series on apologetics, on world religions and different Christian denominations. And I said, I'll do it on the one condition that, and I was on staff at the church at this time, that you'll allow me to use time to go and sit down with these people because I don't want to be thinking about this amorphous idea that I might be critiquing, but I want to have names and faces when I'm thinking about Islam. And so went to the local mosque and I sat down and had tea with them because I wanted to, wanted to know them and did that with a Jewish rabbi and different people. Didn't make any YouTube videos about it. It was before even I was on YouTube. Um, but then once all these things started colliding, it kind of formed into what my channel is today and started uh, yeah, just exploring it and yeah. getting to share it with other people. Yeah. I heard you tell that story um, about your uncle in that Bible study on, I think it was Pints with Aquinas, which is, yeah. an, incre- which is an incredible show. If, if somebody listening, um, I'd, I'd say second to your, your channel, because yours is obviously coming from a Protestant perspective. If somebody wanted to learn more about Catholicism, that's a phenomenal one. But um, mm-hmm. I heard you tell that story and you said one of the, the stark things that you weren't expecting and really drew you in to say, maybe I've... Uh, maybe I've not given these people the, 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 their due was you said you met, like, I, I can't remember how many you said, but it was like five 30 in the morning, like you said, and there was over a hundred Catholic men who took their relationship with Jesus seriously and took the Bible seriously. And, you know, you kind of talked about there that um, Protestants have drawn this caricature of, of Catholics that they don't have relationship with Jesus and they don't ever read their Bible, um, which obviously, you know, to be false. And I do as well. Um, what, what then came out of that? You know, I think you said you went through that entire semester of that particular study. Um, you know, you walked away from that, you started a YouTube channel, but I'd imagine that came from a deep seated personal change in you to say, I think I have these people, people wrong. What was that like? Yeah, that was a great opportunity to recognize these biases that I had that I didn't even know I had. I mean, I grew up in, of all states, Maryland, literally started for English Catholics, (laughs) but I didn't grow up knowing any passionate Catholics. And, you know, just like there are in any denomination, there's going to be kind of nominal Catholics out there. And those happen to be the ones that I'd interacted with most. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of shaped my picture of Catholicism, not any real study of it. I mean, even growing up in the church, going to a Christian school for about half of my upbringing, I never really learned anything about it besides I thought that, you know, Catholics go to church on Christmas and Easter because that's what my neighbors did. And that was about it to them. And so getting to see these men that were passionate about their faith and love the Bible, like you said, there, those were the things that I had always been taught were most important in my kind of non-denominational upbringing. Mm -hmm. And that really made me pause and go, whoa, like, there's something worth investigating here. Because for me, Catholicism was never a question of whether I should put much energy into it because it's just, it didn't seem like people who were passionate about their faith. And so why would I take the time to learn about that right. per se? And even now looking back, it might not be a great reason, but realizing that they shared the same passion I had, they shared this path 
passion for the gospel and the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And we think, huh, maybe I'm not dealing with people who are completely foreign or completely misguided. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm dealing with people that I, I could call brothers. And how do I investigate this to see mm-hmm. how have we gotten to where we are? What are these divides? Because I, I didn't have answers to a lot of those questions. Yeah. And you you know, and, and I've had this similar experience. I have a very good friend who's a, a very devout Catholic. And when you meet a Catholic who is not the straw man Catholic that, that so many of us evangelicals have in our minds. You know, this is a Catholic who's, who's grown up really studying the scriptures and really takes the gospel and scriptures seriously. Um, you learn really quick how much you, in fact, don't know about the Bible and how much you don't know about logic and philosophy because Catholics are, I mean, the part of Catholic culture, it's deeply entrenched in a historic theology that in all honesty, Protestants, um, you know, we, we, we don't have as much to do with logic and philosophy as many of our Catholic friends do. And you've had conversations with guys like Jimmy Aiken on your channel. Mm -hmm. And, um, I would imagine your conversation, I haven't gotten the chance to listen to it yet, but I I saw it and I thought, oh man, if somebody doesn't know who Jimmy Aiken is, he's, he's a very, very well-known Catholic apologist. I'd imagine having conversations like that, you kind of realize, um, Hmm. Maybe it's the evangelicals that might not know as much as, as we thought. Yeah, you, you certainly learn a lot. And I think what it helps you do and which is man, a big conversation just in evangelicalism and really academia in general is the perspectives that we bring to whatever it is that we're doing, the Mm -hmm. perspectives we bring to a text, you know, growing up, I assumed that everyone of good faith that reads say Romans comes away with the same, uh, the the same interpretation. And if they don't, well, they just miss something along the way. And then you meet people who are, in all honesty, smarter than you. I, I've met lots of people that are smarter <laughs> yeah. than me as I go through this and realize, wow, we can look at those same texts and come to completely different conclusions. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that it's all relative and right. that we can't know, but it does humble you to go, mm-hmm. man, I've missed things and they're seeing things I'm not seeing. And so now I need to dig back in and figure out what is it that causes me to read these passages this way and how have we gotten here mm-hmm. and like you said yeah the intellectual traditions of the two churches are, are very different you have mm-hmm. this deep philosophical tradition coming out of guys like saint thomas aquinas yeah. who write amazing works that whether you agree with them or not mm-hmm. you can't walk away saying ah they're just misguided like yeah. there's some serious intellectual depth there yeah well and what's interesting too is many of the most important and influential thinkers within christendom you know evangelicals and Catholics both claim them. Augustine, you know, like you mentioned, Thomas Aquinas. I mean, the Summa Theologica is, that's where we get a lot of our defense. You know, a Frank Turek and a Jimmy Aiken are both going Mm -hmm. to reference Thomas Aquinas throughout their entire ministry. And so we, we have a lot more in common than we, we like to think. Um, I'm sure you get accused in your YouTube comment section or something because, um, you know, even I'm watching you operate following an an Orthodox priest or, you know, talking in an interview, you know, with somebody who's a member of a Catholic monastic order. And in my, in the back of my mind, I'm like, this guy probably gets accused of being a universalist from time to time because you're so charitable in your demeanor. Um, How have you handled that? Or has that been a problem for you at all? Oh, you know, I mean, it's, it's part of the, the, cost of doing business on the internet. You get accused of all types of things. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, Universalist might not be the worst thing I've ever been accused of, though. I'm mm-hmm. not a universalist, but I, that does happen. And man, I mean, there's a lot of levels you can answer a question like yeah, this on right. as far as just 
being able to distance yourself from comments, which I think is a great, great thing to learn that took me a while as a mm -hmm. content creator, that these thousands of people that all of a sudden have an opinion on me, like they, mm -hmm. they don't fully know me and their, their feedback's valuable and it can help me grow as a creator, but also doesn't yeah. necessarily speak into the depth of who I am. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, generally speaking on my channel, what I'm trying to do is take the posture of a learner, which requires a certain humility and saying, I might not have all the answers. And what I like to do is I'm able to have these conversations with different people. I'm able to have these experiences that other people might want to have, but they're not in a position yeah. to be able to do it or say like, they'd love to sit down with a, a Jimmy Aiken or mm -hmm. any number of these people, but they just don't have that access. And I've been given this privilege to be able to have a platform and to have these conversations. So I try to allow myself to be fairly neutral in a lot of this to allow people to almost get to sit in my shoes as if they get to have the conversation too. Mm -hmm. And then they can make those conclusions from there. Yeah. Yeah. We, I relate so much to what you're doing because we just like, I mean, this is, I think you could, you'll, you'll love this, but because of the way you are, but like me and the other guys who uh, work with all things, all people. We just went to the church of Scientology in Atlanta and we kind of did a gospel simplicity style walkthrough and, and did that whole Amazing. thing. We were at a Hindu temple just a few weeks ago. And it's funny. Cause you say not, you know, other people want to have the types of experiences that you've been privileged to have. And I found the same thing to be true. Some people just like, it's almost like they want to, and even sometimes they could, but it's like, they don't, it's like Protestant Christians sometimes don't even feel like they have the nerve to go to the Orthodox church down the street. If they're in a metropolitan area like Chicago and just say, I just want to go and see, or like, I know that you, you know, you've routinely been to a, quite a few different types of Catholic mass and things like that, just to see the difference. Do you ever just like look at your friends or even your followers now with these 31,000 subscribers and just say, Hey, just, just go like, you can watch my videos all you want, but, once they're done, you go do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really good point that it's not necessarily that people can't. I think often, yeah. I mean, they might not be able to have these conversations Sometimes, with certain right, people, yeah. but to have these experiences, mm -hmm. I think they could, but we, we often grow up with this us versus them mentality and those yeah. people on the outside are dangerous. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I recognize that depending on where people are at in their journey of faith, it might, it will be unsettling to experience opinions that are different than yours. That, mm -hmm. That's just part of learning. Learning is often uncomfortable, but I respect that if you're maybe at a position where you don't feel right, like, Hey, I, I'm not going to force yeah. you into these things, but I do think it is great to have these experiences. And I'll say, you know, as far as I, I try to be, uh, I, I don't push anyone into it, but here at Moody, it's such an awesome opportunity to be able to go places because we're downtown Chicago yeah. here. And I do enjoy taking people who maybe came from a, a small town and have always had kind of one perspective on Christianity. Maybe they grew up in a strong Southern Baptist family and that's all they know. And if they're interested, if they're intrigued by what I'm doing, I'll often say like, Hey, you want to go to an Orthodox service? I'm not trying to make you Orthodox. I'm not Orthodox. Mm -hmm. I think you could learn a lot. And when people take me up on that, they often walk away, I think with a lot, with their theological horizons broadened, even if they haven't changed their opinions, they learn to maybe appreciate the opinions that they disagree with in a new yeah. way. Yeah. And like you said, I do think sometimes, you know, you know, probably even better than I do because of the type of work you do that a lot of these denominational or, um, you know, in the case of the three great traditions within Christianity, um, these schisms and these, uh, these, 
um, reformational lines are drawn because there's serious theological differences that can't just be swept under the rug. But what I think that you're alluding to, and, and I really appreciate about this, about your channel and your work is like, sometimes we draw lines because we don't want to evaluate our own thoughts and presuppositions. We don't want the Orthodox priest um, to say, well, do you think icons are bad? you know, or, or things like that. What kind of experiences have you had where, I mean, you're not just a neutral journalist here. You know, I mean, these people know, okay, this, this guy's coming from Moody. I've watched this guy's videos. I know he's a Protestant evangelical. Have you had much experience where these people are looking at you going, okay, so yeah, this is great. This is going to get a million views, but what do you think, Austin? Yeah, I do get that sometimes. And I'll say, actually, I think What's great, you know, being on this podcast, and I always enjoy pointing people towards podcasts is ironically enough, if people often want to hear my opinion on things, it often happens more on other people's channels because mm, yeah. I'm I'm usually the interviewer. I'm asking the questions. And again, I try to be fairly neutral, recognizing mm, yeah. that all of us have our biases and I have an opinion. Um, but I try to, you know, kind of allow people to step into my shoes. Um, but but I do get that sometimes, and I think it's a, a good and fair question. And honestly it does sometimes make force me to not just be a journalist because yeah. that that's not what I am. Um, but it can be easy to kind of play a role of journalist in these things, mm -hmm. but these are issues that matter. And so sometimes people will ask me those questions and I'm happy to explore them with people. I'm happy mm -hmm. to share my thoughts while also saying, you know, there's some things that maybe I don't have a fully formed opinion on. And I think a lot of a theological education there's often kind of this, uh, this curve in the graph where, mm -hmm. you know, like the end of your freshman year of Bible college or something, or maybe your first year of seminary, like, well, I pretty much know everything. My pastor was always wrong. And basically mm -hmm. I'm an expert. And then you keep going. Yeah. And a lot of it is a progressive realization of how little you actually know and how mm -hmm. much there is to learn. And so I've become increasingly comfortable with saying, you know, here's where I stand right now. But I'm, I'm trying to hold that with loose hands, recognizing I could be wrong on this and I have more to learn. And I think a lot of what we want to do, especially as we try to bring the church together, is figure out what are the doctrines we need to hold on to with both hands? And what are the things that we can say, you know what, like this is, this is a complex issue and there are faithful Christians on many different sides of this topic that can have charitable disagreement. And I find that second category is often larger than we think. Though there are tides on different you know, spectrums where yeah. maybe people want to hold everything in that position, which isn't always the most helpful because we do want to recognize that people have lost their lives over some of these divides. I mean, we, we can't just push past that history, even if we might not agree with how it was always handled. These are issues that matter. Um, but I think mm -hmm. we need to do a better job of distinguishing between like what is dogma, what is doctrine, and what is opinion. Mm, yeah. So, you know, touring churches and cathedrals and having these really amazing conversations that you've had with such a wide array of belief. Do you feel, I'm sure some people like look at you and go, Austin, I'm worried about you because they're especially, you know, and evangelicals I've found, cause I, I do such similar work. And um, I, from time to time, I have somebody say, Hey, you're not, you're not going off into heresy here are you you know or something like that and i'm sure you have conversations like that but have has the work that you've done with gospel simplicity 
made you even hold tighter to some of the the core dogmas? I mean, like, has it given you a confidence in, in, in you say, okay, I think I actually know even better now than I did before what hills are to be died on. Mm, yeah. And if I can plug a, a good friend's book, uh, Dr. Gavin Ortland, have you had him on? Uh, He's Austin. He, I'm interviewing him next week. Wonderful. What That's a incredible. great guy. Wow. Yeah. He's, so he's the, he's the episode. This is, this is hilarious. He, so your episode is, so here's some insider baseball for listeners. Your episode's dropping September 28th and Gavin Ortland's is September 21st. Wonderful. That's fantastic. Yeah. So he has a book called uh, finding the right hills to die. And, and it's great. You know, I think in some ways, yes, I think what, Exploring different traditions is going to do two things. It'll show you the diversity of the Christian tradition. And you'll see, man, there's a lot of different ways of expressing the same faith that have flowered in different ways because of certain historical circumstances and how the church has developed and all of mm-hmm. these things from theology to history to culture. Like it's complex stuff. Mm-hmm. But what it'll also show you is that the church is actually united on a lot of things. And you begin to see that across the various ways of expressing this in their different language and different liturgies, all these things that we hold a lot in common. And I think as you begin to see that on these things like the incarnation and the Trinity, that some of these different groups have really done wonderful theological work in expressing that, um, you begin to see like, yes, like these are foundational things. I think you become even more confident in things like that. So I think definitely in some ways it will strengthen your convictions when you see like, man, the church has come together on these things. And we have this united witness on far Mm -hmm. more than we'd actually think. And I I think that's really helpful. And then you see the areas you differ and sometimes that's going to kind of sand off some of those sharp edges. And then, and sometimes you're going to say, man, like this is actually, this is a a worthy dividing line Mm -hmm. and you have to dig in there more. And I think those issues are the hardest um, and there, there's the most ink spilled on those and mm-hmm. takes a lot of humility and wisdom to try to uh, sort through them. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. I think what's so interesting as well is in my, in my experience and, and just even for a short amount of time watching your experience now um, is I found too, like, especially like with groups like the Orthodox churches is, is it's not even just, you find what Hills are to be died on or what lines between us and quote us and them are worth having. But then also is sometimes if we're, if we go about it the right way is we actually like, I've looked at the Orthodox view of the incarnation and gone, maybe they understand it better than maybe they better understand it better than we do or or, or their worldview of how they look at creation makes their view of the incarnation not necessarily better, but just like, wow, I think we've been missing something here. And it's that sharing across those lines where you go, yeah, I disagree with you on your view of icons or um, the atonement. And that's certainly worth, like you said, spilling some ink, but wow, like we can put our arms around each other on this thing and actually help each other grow in how our worldview affects our faith in Jesus. I'm sure you've developed some some, uh, if not some strong acquaintances, even some friendships with some folks who routinely challenge the way you think now. Oh, absolutely. And both in person through people that I've met and gotten to interview or tour with, and also through people that on comment on my videos mm-hmm. online, you know, one of the amazing things about putting out content, especially if I put out something that does show my opinion more, maybe it's not in an interview, maybe it's more of a teaching video or something 
it's almost like a uh, a mass peer review of people, yeah. especially with a really diverse audience saying, like, hey, you know, I see where you're coming from, but actually maybe you missed this view and going, sure did. I didn't mm-hmm. think of that. Let me, let me rework these things. And I think if people want to become better theologians and just better better thinkers, being around diverse opinions will force you to get sharper because you're going to see, you're going to have people who look at the issue completely different than you, uh, giving you feedback. And I, I think that's a gift. Yeah. Well, I, I, I completely, um, completely agree. Um, so being there at Moody and obviously having subscribers and followers that, that I do think are pr- probably mostly Protestant, um, just given that, that you're Protestant, um, is I'm sure you get asked some difficult questions all the time because I've heard you say on Moody's campus, I'm sort of the guy to go talk to about Catholicism um, and probably orthodoxy and all these other things. Um, it, how difficult is it for you as you go into these situations and you're trying to be as much of a journalist as you can. You're trying to maintain a good witness with our brothers and sisters across these lines, but then you're also routinely, I'm sure, being asked questions like, so are Catholics saved? Or um, do you believe that icons or the reverence for the saints is idolatry? And you're getting asked all these questions, I'm sure, through social media comments, people just come up to you at Moody. Um, How has it been walking that line of, in a sense, being a Protestant apologist even if you don't want to be, but then also being somebody who's going into these places and trying to just maintain a gentle countenance? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'll start it off with what I think might take you as a surprise. Actually, the last time I polled my audience, the demographic was 50% Catholic, 25% Orthodox, 25% Protestant, which is a really interesting position for me, almost being a minority amongst your audience. Uh, So that has all types of fun dynamics that is just really interesting. And again, not anything that I would have ever anticipated. Um, but that, that doesn't change the fact of it, especially at Moody on that level of people coming to me about questions with questions about Catholicism or orthodoxy, because they've heard that I make these videos and now they want to mm-hmm. know what I think, or they, you know, so-and-so told their friend that this dude on the floor went to a Catholic mass. Why is he doing that? Should I be concerned? <laughs> and I find that for better or worse, that often there's there's different opinions between people who have been here for different amounts of time. Oftentimes when we get new people, say on the floor, I've lived on the same floor here at Moody my whole time, and I'm now a senior, and freshmen might come in and they, they hear about what I do, mm-hmm. and, and they're concerned, and they're like, this is this is not okay. Like, this, I, I'm yeah, worried yeah. for yourself. And I'm like, you know, I can say that lightly, but I, I, I appreciate their concern. Yeah, you know, if, right. If that's a question they have, I want them to come to me with that. And so I'm happy to field them. Um, but I often find that people who have been here a bit longer, maybe been exposed to a, a greater amount of theology, they've taken historical theology classes, they've taken their systematics classes, they're more just intrigued and want mm-hmm. to learn more. Um, but as I find myself, yeah, maybe defending my own things, I think what I try to do is just help people understand more where people are coming from. Mm -hmm. And I really like to help people think for themselves, especially theology students, because I I know that's what they're here for. They're getting the tools to do that. So I don't want to necessarily spoon feed Mm -hmm. them. Um, But I like to say, hey, here's where they're coming from. This is how their argument's shaped. 
here's the historic Protestant response, maybe from Calvin or Luther. Yeah. And here are the sources you should go read and like, go read them. If you want to know my opinion after you've done that, we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. But I, I want to let you kind of have that experience because you'll come out the other side a better thinker. Yeah. Why do you think, um, okay, so you, you know, uh, that's really amazing that your, your demographic is that diverse. And it's actually, honestly, a testament to how you handle yourself in these situations. Because we all know a Catholic's not going to listen to somebody who routinely is diminishing Catholicism and so on and so on. And I think people appreciate honesty. Like we, everybody knows Protestants and Catholics differ on really important stuff. And I think sometimes people just, they operate as if there is no differences. And in my opinion, I think that makes their content not as much um, of a worth, like a worthy listen, but um, you know, you obviously realize like there's significant differences, but why do you think it is that evangelicals? Cause I've experienced the same thing. They, they almost treat it as like even going to the mass, even going and visiting or, or giving what could be seen as heresy, false teaching, so on and so on, a position of attention. Um, even if you, even if you are openly disagreeing with it, um, we almost like, we're like, that's just as bad as, you know, believing it, you know, in some sense, or at least that's how we, we act. How do you think we got there um, as a, as a, as a group? Um, Because obviously evangelicalism is not in itself a denomination, but like, why do you think that that is our reaction sometimes? Is it just a discomfort? Is it a us versus them thing? Yeah, there's a lot there. And (laughs) I'm sure there's people that can answer this question better than I can, but uh, I'd point people maybe towards the work of Mark Knoll, who's done some really yeah. good kind of like historiographic work on what is this strange thing that we call evangelicalism and, and how have we gotten there, uh, specifically his book, The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. But I think there's a few things. I think the general aversion to outsiders, if you will, or these other groups, in part comes from just history. So if, we, if we're looking at this, you know, facts on the ground kind of Mm -hmm. thing. You've got the Reformation starting in 1517 and blood is spilled over this. Like, Mm -hmm. and that, that historical memory, I think lives on longer than we may think. And the, we see communities and countries going to war with each other Mm -hmm. over these issues, which is crazy for us to think in our kind of modern postmodern world of like, there were religious wars between Christians over say Baptist, even between yeah, Protestants. I mean, right. you've got your magisterial Protestants saying, oh, you want to be rebaptized? We'll rebaptize you by, you know, tying a cinder block to you and throwing you in the river if you want to be rebaptized. Mm-hmm. Like crazy things to think about. But I think that memory stays with us longer than we think. And so there's this generational history of thinking of those we disagree with as dangerous. Because at one mm-hmm. time that actually was dangerous. Mm-hmm. I think there's also when you get into insular communities you generally find your acceptance in that community, both by what you are, but almost equally as much, if not more, by defining who you are not and who Mm -hmm. you are against. Mm -hmm. You give yourself a common enemy and you give people a common identity. And so when you know that to be a Protestant, what does that mean? It means we're not Catholic. Well, then all of a sudden being Catholic is equated with bad and Not only that, but it's a, it's a threat to your identity and it's a threat to your community acceptance. So naturally, I mean, we don't want to be pushed out of our community, even if we're not thinking through these things uh, in these terms. So we're going to say, whoa, that's dangerous. We want to keep that at an arm's length. Mm-hmm. On another level, I think we've been 
just raised, especially in evangelical circles, to, to have a really high place for the word of God. And we sometimes do a little slippery thing of, of the word of God and our theology, and we assume they're exactly the same, which is a big conversation. But right. we think, man, you pull out any one of these things, and it's like a house of cards. And yeah. so if you pull out my view on this, everything topples. So I've got to mm-hmm. guard them all mm-hmm. really tightly. And I, and I love theology. Like that, that's what I do. I'm a theology major. Uh, but I think we're not necessarily taught to distinguish between those kind of first, second level doctrines. And so when we see any challenge to them, we think it's a challenge to our whole faith and a challenge to kind of the well-being of the church. Yeah. And so if that's what you're thinking, yeah, then it makes sense that you'd be concerned. Well, you say that there's a lot of other people who could answer that better than you, but that's a pretty good answer, Austin. Um, and I, and I, I genuinely think your experiences and the, the situations you put yourself in have given you a muscle that many of us don't have is, is the ability even to address that question. Um, I wonder if when you go into some of these situations and you're talking to Catholics, Orthodox, or even just, you know, everybody in between and, and probably the nature of YouTube and social media is, people who might not be Christian, but are curious about Christianity. I wonder if often you are um, challenged or if somebody ever questions the idea of like, you know, Catholics have a mostly unilateral view of scripture, right? That the the interpretation of scriptures on the magisterium and and whatnot and and Orthodox is similar. And then here we have Protestants who believe in the priesthood of all believers and everybody gets to interpret the Bible the essentially the way they want. And of course that's sort of a caricature, but it's led to the fact that if you go to main street, USA, any town in America, you're going to have three different kinds of Presbyterian churches, two different kinds of Lutheran churches, five different Baptist churches and, and one Catholic church, you know, and I, and I wonder if you ever have been forced to marinate on the idea of like Protestants, like you just said, we, we take great pride in saying, our, our theology and the Bible are one and the same. Um, it, we like to think that, like you said, that might not necessarily always be the case, but, and I'm sure sometimes Catholics just go, Hey, how's that going for you? You know, um, there's more division in Protestantism than there is anywhere else in the world. So uh, has that ever been something that's been brought to your attention or even just as you've continued to study it, that you're saying, Hey, I, I go to Moody and at Moody, there's every, you know, everybody belongs to a different denomination. So has that been something that's popped up in your experiences here? Oh, man, if I had a dollar for every time I had a comment along those lines, I yeah. would uh, probably wouldn't be living in a dorm. I'd probably yeah. be in a high rise <laughs> across yeah. the street. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly something that comes up. And, you know, on the one hand, I, I think sometimes it's a bit overstated. You often hear yeah. the statistic thrown out of there's 30,000 denominations yeah. plus. And, and that's been debunked a little for kind of the way it's defined, but it, whether that number's a little inflated, it, you're right. You go down a main street and we've got, you know, the Lutheran church, Missouri Synod, but then yes. we've got the evangelical Lutheran church. Yeah. And then we've got, you know, PC USA and mm-hmm. OPC, like we've got, we've got too many. And I, I think that Protestants, you know, when we, whenever someone's kind of coming at us in that way, um, well, I, I think there's a couple of reactions. Sometimes people want, to just like jump and defend and mm-hmm. talk about this. And I think others want to say, well, yeah, but everyone else is just wrong. Like my independent fundamentalist Baptist church is the only one that's got it. So mm-hmm. who cares how many there are? Yeah. Um, I think as Protestants, we do need to be humbled by that. And I think call it out for the shame that it is like I, I take, so 
if we're going into history, I, I don't have the date off the top of my head. I want to say it's around like 1529, but you've got this thing called, called the Marburg Colloquy, and it's early on in the Reformation, and you've got Luther and Zwingli and different Reformation leaders coming together, and they are trying to unite and say, hey, like, we're, you know, we've started this movement of reforming the Catholic Church that's kind of taking on its own life. Let's try to all, you know, be together here. And they get through all their doctrines, and they get to the last point, it's on the Lord's Supper, and they can't agree. And then from there, you see Protestants start splintering into the different magisterial traditions. And then through time, it just kind of keeps splintering. And I think I take that as, as a great scandal to Protestantism that we weren't able to come together there and that we have seen greater and greater division. Now, the, the question is, does that mean that it's inherently bad, right. that, that there's a, that Protestantism is not just flawed in some way, but is fundamentally flawed? And, you know, I, of course, I'm still a Protestant, and so I, right. I don't necessarily think that, but I do think we need to do a better job and recognize that these divisions aren't Christ's vision for the church. Um, and I think one of our biggest things right now is learning how to live well in light of that, which I hope I'm able to maybe uh, help people with that a little bit. I very much think you are, honestly. And I think you're probably emboldening some people into asking questions that they've always been afraid to ask because they don't want to be the weird kid who's curious about the church down the street and and whatnot. And, and you know, the idea of loving across the lines, I think you're you're helping the church, whether that be, you know, the East Rome or, you know, the rest of us. And so, um, I, I have to ask before I let you go. So you have a video premiering and I think it's like at five days. And when this episode drops, it will, it will have been out for, you know, almost an entire month, but it's on, um, Memento Mori, uh, oh, okay, yeah. uh with, uh, sister Teresa Noble. Um, yeah. and so I, I've obviously not been able to watch it, but, for listeners, they could go watch that. And at this point, that'll be one of your newest videos. Please give me a little bit of preview of what's going to be covered in that because it looks fascinating. Sure. Yeah. So uh, Memento Mori is Latin for remember your death. And I, I like to kind of cover different types of content on my channel. My main thing is uh, focusing on what unites and divides the church. And to get into that, you have to cover a lot of historical theology to understand where we're at. Um, that, you know, the systematics, the dogmatic theology often gets into kind of the divisions, although there's unity there in a lot of places that I don't think we want to look over. But in terms of unity, I'd like to talk about the spiritual disciplines that unite us in prayer and these things that we can all come together from and learn from the different traditions, whether that be like the Jesus prayer or mm -hmm. learning the Ignatian exam. And like, no matter your denominational background, you can learn from these things and be enriched by them. I want to make sure I'm not just giving people kind of head knowledge, uh, but also helping them grow in their, their walk with Christ. And so this video kind of falls under that category of spiritual disciplines. And basically it's a spiritual discipline of meditating and reflecting on your mortality, the fact that you will die. And it's mm. a practice that was bigger in the church uh, historically and kind of fell out of favor, I think for many reasons. And today we live in, if we look across the historical timeline, a very odd time where we have this weird privilege, if you will, to be able to kind of pretend like death isn't a thing. Mm -hmm. Obviously it is. And COVID's reminding of that, yeah. us of that in so many ways. Um, but we often like to kind of push that aside. Even the way we've done our funerals has changed. We talked about that yeah. a bit. Um, yeah. So we talk about just the fact that, Hey, life is short, it's fleeting. And how can we use that as a reminder to prioritize God and think about what ultimately matters? Yeah. 
Well, that's incredible. I'll be one of the first people to watch that when it, when it goes live on YouTube and I, and I want listeners to check that out. I think that's going to be a great example of the type of content that you're putting out that very few other people, especially any Protestants, especially on top of that, any evangelicals are putting out. Um, last thing I'd imagine at some point you're, you're trying to have father Mike Schmitz on the show. I'd love to, (laughs) I, 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 I think I've seen that you've had, um, and I, I can't remember his name, but he also works with Ascension Presents. Um, I think he's a brother, and I think you interviewed him at some point. Um, but Yeah, Father Mark Mary Ames. Yeah, there, there, there he is. So he's, he's basically, in my mind, he's the one who does the Ascension Presents videos when it's not Father Mike Schmitz. Um, but, uh, but yeah, talk about a guy who's captivated YouTube and the podcasting world um, yeah. in an unlikely way. Honestly, I, I I tell my Catholic friends they should they should make him pope next time they get a chance. Yeah, yeah, it, he's it, it's amazing work, and I think it's a, a great example of showing us that maybe we don't always understand Catholics well. For those that aren't familiar, he's the host of a podcast called The Bible in a Year. Mm-hmm. He's a priest going through the whole Bible yeah. in a year, and it took off and was like topping the Apple podcast charts. Yeah. And just showed like, there are so many Catholics that are passionate about reading their Bible. And it also showed something that I honestly so easily forgot, perhaps because like you said, you go down Main Street, you got eight uh, different Protestant churches and Mm -hmm. one Catholic church. There are like a billion Catholics (laughs) with a B, billion Catholics in the world. And I just forget that. uh, Mm -hmm. I I don't anymore. But I, I just didn't realize how huge this demographic was. And I think as Christians, we and as evangelicals specifically, we're, we're missing such an opportunity to make greater headway for the gospel by not finding ways that we can work together mm-hmm. with our Catholic brothers and sisters, because there's a billion yeah, of them right. mm-hmm. with a B, which is far more than there are Protestants mm-hmm. in the world. And so I, I like to dream of what what good we can do, even if it's not maybe on the biggest issues, but yes. on the things that we can link arms on, because mm-hmm. man, that's if we could work together on some things rather than fighting each other on some of these issues, mm-hmm. we could get a lot done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and father Mike Schmitz is a great example, like you said, of just somebody who's captivating, who is, is I think for a lot of Catholics, um, giving them, you know, a leader, at least here in, in the West and on social media and whatnot. Cause, um, it's just, you know, he's, he's brilliant guy, very eloquent. I, I watch his videos and, and I learn a lot. Um, we right now, actually the ATAP podcast is up for an award where somehow or another, we ended up in the same being nominated for an award. And I found out that the Bible in a year podcast is also up for it. And so I just told all our guys, okay, we're going to lose because because it is it's like the most popular podcast in the religion and spirituality section of in pretty much the entire world so he's doing a great job but yeah lord willing you'll get the chance to have him on that'd be uh that would be a very fun one um well i i'll tell you man um i'm really appreciative of what you do and i know that a lot of people are i'm i'm thankful that some of my people told me to uh to to make this happen and i'll tell you next time i'm back in chicago um, I would love for you to take me to whatever weird type of, uh, orthodox something, and then we'll turn right around and we'll go do an all things, all people thing where we go to a, a another faith house and, and you and I can make a pretty good team. I think. Let's do it. Let me know when you're coming. Yeah. All right, brother. Thank you so much. Yeah. My pleasure.